want us to look at Psalm 46. Psalm 46. And if you've been paying attention to the Psalms, you know that sometimes some verses repeat in the same Psalm. A good subtitle for this Psalm would be God our refuge. For he is our refuge. I saw a commercial not long ago about somebody who is supposedly playing hide and seek. And they said, you don't want to do this in the desert. Because <laughs> when they said, okay, ready or not, here I come. And, and one guy stands still, and the other guy stands right behind him. And that guy lays down, tries to put some shrubbery in front of him. <clears throat> kind of hard to become absent or missing in plain sight. You want a place you can go where you're safe. Maybe you're out in the mountains and here come a storm. <coughs> the the uh, second cousin twice removed or something like that. Cody was trying to explain to me at lunch. Uh, the, me the one gentleman and then the other gentleman, a uh, lady and etc. 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 Talking about kin. And coming from Kentucky, he's from Cave City, Kentucky. I happen to know Cave City, Arkansas. You can go to a cave where you're safe. You just don't want to go in a cave where Mr. Bear has decided to stay there. Because if Mr. Bear is there, uh, you might want to go somewhere else. <clears throat> so let's read these 11 verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters are roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. <clears throat> Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. All through the scripture we're reminded the contrast between rock 
sand. Jesus, of course, taught, and we teach the little ones. I think you still teach them. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Foolish man built his house on the sand. As long as it's a sunny day, doesn't make a whole lot of difference, does it? But when the rains came, not this kind of rain, when the rains came down and the floods came up, the house on the rock stood fast. The one on the sand had no firm foundation. Washed away. Nothing to hold it up. You want a faith that will hold you up. If you put your faith in any human, me or anybody else, it's like trying to have a rope of sand. Anchor. It's not something that I can transfer to you. One man, I think it was Mark Twain, used to talk about the fellow who had a euphoria because he got drunk sniffing another man's cork. You can't believe for somebody else, and you can't piggyback on somebody else's faith. You must believe. A wise man said, God has no grandchildren. You're either a child of God, or you're not. You can't just schmooze your way into the kingdom. Back in uh, the 40th Psalm, we already read this. The first two verses, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of the horrible pits, out of the miry clay. What did He do? Set my feet upon a rock and established my going. That's secure. You can have security in our great God. Christ is the refuge that we have, that we need. There's imagery in Jeremiah 8 that speaks about the balm in Gilead. And we sing a song that there is a balm in Gilead. A refuge, a place you can go. In the place the Lord is called our high tower. He is our safety, our security. If you've ever read the 91st Psalm, it says under his wing we take cover. All of these are images to let us know that you can flee to the Lord. And no matter where you may be, no matter how concerned you might be about the situation, you flee to the Lord. If you ask me, preacher, what should I look to the Lord? Anybody that's godly is going to say, you look to the Lord. They look to me. I'm no man's Savior. I can't save me. I can't save you. I can't save anybody else. And neither can any other mere man. But Jesus Christ is the Savior. And so, I might sound like a broken record, but when you have the truth, you want to stick to the truth. You want to stay with what's right. <clears throat> In Hebrew, I understand there's six different words that are rendered refuge. In the Old Testament, you know, it's divided into three major sections. You have the law, and you have the prophets, 
and then you have the writings, sometimes called the Psalms. And in each of those, it speaks of the Lord as the great refuge. When you survey the Old Testament, there are three great images that I hope, if they're not already etched in your mind, that they will be. What was meant when it says, the Lord is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Right here, right now, He is the one who can solve the problem. He is the one who can speak to the need. He is the one who can calm your spirit. He is the one who can encourage you. And so we look to Him. He's not one of these days going to get around to heaven yet. No. A very present help in time of trouble. They say if you want to do something, there's no time like the present. Would you agree with that? There's no time like the present. Because if you say, I'm going to do this. I'm thinking about doing that. You know, getting ready to do it. Just stuff to get. No. But wouldn't it be good if there was a verse that says, this is the day. Why, yeah, there is. There's a couple of verses that say something like that. In fact, it says today is the day. What, do you, what can you do about tomorrow? Learn from it. Maybe regret your mistakes and do better. What can you do about the future? The future is a promissory note. The past is a canceled check. All you have is the present. <clears throat> Spencer Johnson, the same guy that wrote <coughs> Who Moved My Cheese, wrote a book called The Presence. He basically used the whole book to say, you know, folks, you can't do anything about yesterday. You really can't do anything now about tomorrow. But what you have is today. That's why we call it The Presence. God has given you this day. What are we going to do with this day? Well, one of these days, huh? no. About one of these days. <clears throat> so I think about Christ <clears throat> as our great refuge. The first one, we talked in Genesis this morning. I want to go back to Genesis to remind you of a fellow <coughs> by the name of Noah. It tells us in chapter 6 how that every imagination, the thoughts of men, was only evil continually. They were always part of the problem. Scheming and dreaming against God. And there's one solitary exception that the Lord points out. In all the darkness and all the despair that things were back in that time. But Noah got his act together. That's how some people read it, but that's not what it says. Noah found um, grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord told Noah what he's going to do. <clears throat> but the Lord said, Noah, I'm telling you because I want to spare some. And so in the book of Hebrews it says, move with fear. Noah, he preached and he built. And he built and he preached. 
You might say he preached with his hammer and other tools by his actions, and when he would pause, he would preach with his mouth to tell people there is a destruction coming. I'm reminding you this morning of how it is a distress call that we put out when we say May Day, but when it comes to men and their sins, every day is May Day. Every day is a distress day. And so, it says in verse 7 of Hebrews 11 that he moved with fear. He prepared a house to the saving of his house. See, the interesting thing about faith, faith doesn't just encourage you to do something wacky. You do something that is positive. Something that is practical. If Noah had been asked, why are you building that big boat? You're not even mile wide of water. What's going on here? Because God has told me what He's going to do. And we need to get ready. And all through the Bible, we read the cases where God told somebody what was going to go down, and then He says, here's what you need to do. We need to heed what God says. Hear the Word. <clears throat> so the ark was built in anticipation as a refuge. I think it was D.L. Moody that said that the fly inside Noah's Ark was as safe as the elephant and vice versa. Not because of the abilities of either creature, but because the Ark preserved life. <coughs> Creatures outside of the Ark were destroyed, overwhelmed, overcome. Water, mud, and whatever else was going around, swirling and swishing. The whole planet was, <clears throat> next time you're washing your clothes, just think of all that stuff, and think of that planet wide. That's why Peter said, the old world being overcome with water perished. If you're not in the ark, you ain't making it. A few years ago on TV, they made a made-for-TV movie on Noah the Ark. And uh, one day after the rain had stopped, but while the Ark was still floating around, here comes this guy with his little paddle boat. He's a he's a traveling salesman. He wants to sell Noah some stuff. That didn't happen, except in somebody's imagination. And somebody had more sense than to put that in a movie. So the Ark of Noah's day. That's one refuge built by the decree of God. God empowered and equipped Noah to do that very thing. <clears throat> and then a little bit later in the law of Moses, we come to the book of Numbers. And in chapter 35, God says, now, here's what you do. They didn't have a maxed out government back then. But they did have, imagine you've got the Sea of Galilee up here, and then you have the Jordan River, and then you have the Dead Sea. <coughs> and that river bisected the Promised Land. So you have some on the west and some on the east. And God told Moses, 
And this was put into practice under the leadership of Joshua, chapters 20 and 21. They had cities of refuge. You see, all the other tribes had a big chunk of land, some bigger than others, but it's a pretty big tract of land. Except who? The Levites. They didn't get a large tract of land. He would say, if you're of Judah, this is your inheritance. If you are of Reuben, Simeon, etc., etc., with the exception of Levi. And he said, when it comes to the tribe of Levi, they don't get a large tract of land. But they had special cities. Some of those cities were designated cities of refuge. One day I hope to preach to you on the Gal Al, the kinsman redeemer. There are two aspects about the kinsman redeemer. They both have to do with blood. The one has to do with preserving the bloodline. If the eldest son who is married dies without children, it was the moral obligation of the next unmarried son to take that widow and marry her and cause that son born by that union to be named after the deceased to keep the name alive and aware before others because bloodlines are important and then the other sense of the Gaal, the kinsman redeemer, we see in the book of Ruth. For Ruth was the daughter-in-law of a Hebrew named Elimelech, and he had died, and she had married one of Elimelech's sons, and he too had died. She was a widow. So according to the law, so that the bloodline could be kept up, there you go. But the other sense of the Gaal was the avenger of blood. Let's say, uh, Brother Kenny and I, you're the tallest boy here, so I'll pick on you. Brother Kenny and I are out chopping down trees, okay? And, uh, and I swing the axe and chop, 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 and the next time I pull back, the head flies off and it hits you square between the eyes. And he's graveyard dead. You have a living brother? I do. You know what? If the four of us are out chopping down trees and I just clocked you, I love my brother. But if I am the cause of his death, life is sacred to God. And even though it were, as we would call it, an accident, it wasn't deliberate. I didn't plan this. There was no premeditation involved. But he's just as dead. What do I do? God already has us covered. Remember that river? The Jordan? Well, up at the top and in the middle and near the bottom, on each side of the Jordan River, you have cities of refuge. <clears throat> and if, uh-oh, I just killed Brother Kenny. 
there's Brother A, Bubba, or whatever, and then Brother B, Boo Boo, or whatever. And Bubba and Boo Boo said, He just killed Kenny. Let's get him. You know, according to the law, they get a hold of me, they can kill me, and it's blood. It's a blood thing. They're not murderers. They have a right to avenge your blood. That's important to God. What am I going to do? Think I'm going to stand there. Go ahead, guys. Kill me. I probably want to live. And so it's a good idea to know where is the nearest city of refuge? Because if I flee to that city and I get into the city, so we saw you running down the road. You're making a pretty good page there. What's your hurry, son? I said, I accidentally caused the death of my good friend, my brother. Oh yeah? Speaking of brothers, is he, yeah, I come freaking frack coming. They're, they're breathing down my neck. Well, you come on in here, we'll talk about it. And if I can convince the elders of the city of refuge that it wasn't with any premeditation, I'm safe inside the city of refuge. And as long as I stay inside that city of refuge, I'm okay. But you know what? I got to stay in the city of refuge. I might have Marsha and kids and all that someplace else, but they might come to me, but I can't go to them. I got to stay in that city. You know how long? Until the high priest dies. Because even an accidental death means a death. Somebody lost a husband. Somebody lost a daddy. Somebody lost a friend. Somebody lost a brother. And so, if I were to venture outside the city of refuge, and the high priest is still alive, if Rick or Frank were out there and they saw me, they could kill me and they're still off the hook. So, it's sort of like when you move to a new town, you see a little sign with an H on it, let's say that's where the hospital is. That's kind of good to know. Especially if you start having problems at 2 o'clock in the morning. Is there a hospital in this town? Or do we have to drive 50 miles? Well, there is. It's, it's right over there. Okay, that's good. You want to know where. People talk about having an escape plan with the house catches a fire. You want to know where the hospital is. Well, if you were a Jew, you want to know which is the closest city of refuge. You might have been born up here. But if you're living down here, you're probably not going to head for that city of refuge. You want to find the closest. You want to make a beeline as best you can for the city of refuge. One of the songs is probably in our hymnal to the same tune as America. You know that one that begins, Oh Beautiful for Spacious Skies. This tune, based on Psalm 46, is God is our refuge and our strength. wonder where they got that name. Uh, yeah, verse 1, the first half of the verse. There it is. So the ark of Noah's day, Christ pictured that way. As that place of safety, that refuge. And God told animals to come. I don't know how big 
the proto-continent was, but those creatures, whether they flew, or whether they walked, or they galloped, or they crawled, or piggybacked on the backs of something else, I, I sort of think the fleas probably caught them in dog taxi to make their way in. But the creatures, the land and air-based creatures that were living on the earth, they were able to get in to this ark. And they were spared. And that's why we have them today. We have ants, elephants, all the rest. Because God told their ancestors long ago, head for this place. And they did. And they were spared. And we have them today. The human race was spared. You might be heathen as can be, but you owe your physical existence to Noah and his obedience to God. He knew the ark was his refuge. And then we talked about the cities of refuge. But I want to give you for the third thought. Let's look at the book of Isaiah, the Prince of Prophets. You know, we sing the song, Rock of Ages. It's a pretty good song. And it has a long history among God's people. Look, for example, in chapter 4, verse 6. Isaiah 4, 6. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert from storm and from rain. If it's raining, if the wind is blowing, if the heat is beating down upon you, there is a place you can go. And Christ, of course, is represented by that. Now, also in the book of Isaiah, we'll read chapter 32. <clears throat> Verse number 2. Isaiah 32, 2. And a man shall be as in a hiding place from the wind, and a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Does that ring a bell with you? It does with me. We sing a song. The chorus says, Jesus is a rock in a weary land. And I think in the hymnals, it gives us the title for that song, A Shelter in the Time of Storm. We're not talking about a place here. We're talking about a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. You go to Him. You run to Him. You are secure and you are safe in Him. God's people are preserved forever in Christ. Paul told the Colossians, you're dead and you're hid with Christ in God. You can't be in a sacred place. The old devil can't get you. The world can't get you. You are right where you want to be. And right where the Lord is pleased to keep you. Now those passages from Isaiah are precious in their own right. <clears throat> but I ask you to look now in Isaiah 26. Verse 4. Trust ye in the Lord forever, 
And usually, in your Bible, when you see Lord and it's all four capital letters, that's a hint that the Hebrew word translated there is, we say, Jehovah. They probably pronounce it something like Yahweh, Yahweh, or Yehovah. That means the all-existing one. The one who is. Now, there are other names for God, but that is His covenant name. <clears throat> and so usually when you see Lord, all four caps in your Bible, in your Old Testament, the Hebrew word was translated Jehovah. <clears throat> but they made an exception here. Look at the second part of the verse. For in the Lord, and then it's all caps, English word Jehovah is everlasting strength. There was a hymn writer a couple of centuries ago. His name was Augustus Toplady. Augustus Toplady was a champion in his own rights. He happened to be friends with a fellow. Some of you might have heard of him. John Gill. You've heard of John Gill. He's the one when he was eulogizing John Gill, he said, if any man could be said to have trod the whole realm of human knowledge, Dr. John Gill. When you ask John Gill a question, he didn't say, oh, no. He, in fact, he spent so much time in his study that even the heathen people in his town, if they wanted to say something, are you sure? Sure as John Gill's in his study. It was almost like a swear word, the way they would say it. To say, absolutely. You know, people throw in, you know, they don't just say yes, they say blank yes, blank no. As if to say, I'm really emphasizing that. Well, instead of saying heaven or hell, they'd say, sure as John Gill's in his study. The guy taught himself Hebrew when he was 10, 12 years old. The guy was brilliant. As far as I know, he never sang or wrote any hymns. But he was a good personal friend of this man, Augustus Toplady. And Augustus Toplady, yeah, he was a friend of John Gill, but there were a lot of other people too. But Augustus Toplady wrote a lot of hymns. By far, his most famous hymn was written between the ages of 15 and 18. There are some people twice and three times that age that can't begin to plumb the depth of the theology of this song. But it's a great old song for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And you know it as Rock of Ages. He is the everlasting strength. And it's based on what we read here in verse 4. Trust in the Lord Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. When I was a little kid, I used to watch these wrestlers. You know, they'd get out there and they'd have this big, uh, I guess you call it a fancy belt buckle. It said Everlast. Well, that sounds good, but they didn't really last forever. they get out there and some guy pin them and pile drive them and do this and do that pretty soon. Uh, they need some help just to get up on their feet. But underneath, 
are the everlasting arms. God told Moses in one pitched battle, He said, as long as you've got your arms up, I will give victory to the Hebrews. So when they began, Moses stood where they could see him. He had his arms up. And as long as his arms were up, the Hebrews were getting the victory. But you know what? We get tired. You know, you, you can put your arms straight out. Look how strong I am. Great. Here would you. And they can give them a little book or something to hold. Look, I hold it out there. I just stand like that. And ten minutes later, those things are starting to get heavy. No, 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 hold them up. Hold them up. And pretty soon your arms will give out. Moses' arms started to give out. And as his arms went down, so the fortunes of war declined. And the Hebrews were getting clobbered. They said, what are we going to do? They said, well, the old fellow's out there standing there trying to hold his arms up. And he about reached the end of his rope. Now, Lord willing, in a few minutes, we're going to have a men's meeting in here. And you know, folks, after I get through standing, I, now that wooden chair feels real good. i got to sit down. Moses sat down. But he still didn't have a whole lot of strength to put his arms up. So they got Frick over here and Frack. Those guys get a lot of coverage, you know. And one of them props up this arm. And the other one props up the other. And they got the victory. I'm sure that was in Moses' mind when he was used of the Spirit to write down of the Lord, underneath are the everlasting arms. What do we see? Leaning on the everlasting arms. God's not going to conk out. God's not going to say, give me five minutes off. I'm sure they do it in other places too, but I know in Conway, they have this, uh, what do they call it, hands on a truck, something like that. They have this contest. Here's this brand new shiny truck. And if you can put your hands on the truck, the last one who's still got his hand on the truck, and all the rest have conked out, they get the truck. So there are people, they, they rest up, and they eat goodies, and energy things, this, that, and the other. And they get out there. And they get their hand on the truck. And there might be 20 more people out there their hand on the truck. But sooner or later, somebody comes out. Somebody might be there and they're just standing there with their hand like that. And I'm like, no. And then, oop, they got caught. And that's it. Now they give them a break. I think it's five minutes out of every hour or something like that. But uh, we knew some people. One poor guy, he got in a contest and he deprived himself of sleep, etc., etc. And he not only didn't win the truck, he went up going to the hospital as a result. We are reminded of our human limitations. And when you're young, you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof, you can handle a whole parcel of mountain lions and all that. And then as you get older, you might take on a couple of little kitties. You know, here we have the bear cats. 
in Conway, they have the Wampus Cats. That's the high school team. They have a junior high team. We call them the Wampus Keys. Imagine those seventh, eighth grade boys. I'm a Wampus Key. <clears throat> and that's what they did. But when you talk about strength, as we decline, hopefully we're able to make up for a little bit, get some good sense, and get some young strong men to get out there and do some of these things. But God doesn't get tired. When, I, when the prophet of Mount Carmel was teasing the prophets of Baal, cry louder! He's a god, isn't he? Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's off in the chase someplace. Better get his attention. Tell him, we need your help, Baal. But the boy there hollered and jumped around. There was none that responded. None that regarded. Let's go back to the Psalms. Because this rock is the only hope we have. Of course, that rock is Christ. That's, that's what Paul said the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10. That rock was Christ. The Lord willing, in a few weeks, we'll look at Psalm 62. But let's take a peek ahead. Psalm 62, verses 2 and 3. Speaking about the Lord God. He only is my rock and my salvation. Not talking about the king. Not talking about a judge or a captain. Just talking about the Lord. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long we imagine mischief against the man. You shall be slain all of you as a bowing wall shall ye be. And as a tottering fence. And drop down to verse 8. My soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. And just like we read in verse 2, here's a repetition. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Yet God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. You can talk to me, and I can say, let's look to the Scriptures. Let's trust the Lord. I can't give any confidence in and of myself. But I can tell you about the one who can be a rest, a refuge, a fortress. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Sure enough, God is that great refuge. Now, go back to Isaiah chapter 28. You have two choices. You flee to the rock. If you don't, the rock falls on you. Wow. Isaiah 28, 16 through 19. Isaiah 28, 16-9 Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone. Peter borrows from this. 1 Peter 2. A tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet. The hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the water shall overflow the hiding place. 
Your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. From the time that it goeth forth, it shall take you. For morning by morning shall it pass over by day and by night. And it shall be a vexation only to understand the report. You flee to the rock, or else the rock falls on you. Once more to the Psalms. Psalm 142. You can run to a human refuge. They might talk real good talk, but they're not much of a rock. In the sense of God is a rock. Psalm 142, 3 through 5. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walk, have they privily laid a snare for me. This folks have to get you. You're serving Jesus Christ. There's some people, they get no more delight than they hear about you dropping the ball. I looked on my right hand, and behold, that there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. Some of the saddest words of the Bible. No man cared for my soul. Aren't you glad somebody cared about your soul? Amen. Talk to you about the Lord. Yeah. I cried out to thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. I'll close with Hebrews 6. Where you see, if you're saved this afternoon, it's because of Jesus Christ. You have fled to Him. And that's the only one we need to point anybody to. That's the only one who can, the only one who does save. He's still in the business of saving souls. But only He. Don't let some church, don't let some preacher, don't let anybody else tell you, oh, there's another way. No, ain't no other way. It's Christ. Christ only. Let's read verses 17 through 19 to close. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. This is so, folks. <laughs> that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Is there anything impossible for God? Yes, there is. I just read it. It is impossible for God to lie. If you ask God to lie, he says, sure enough, that ain't God talking back to you. We might have a strong consolation of fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Don't say anything about the money in the bank. Or the friendships, or the memberships, or anything else you might have. It's Christ. He's our hope. A, a, an anchor, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. The one who has gone the distance, the one who has paid the price, is your substitute, is your sacrifice. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's stand for prayer. Thank you.